0: It is a joy to be able to be back with you folks and uh, just visit again and see everybody and see some new faces as well. Uh, Thankful for what the Lord's continuing to do here, we pray for y'all and trust you'll continue to pray for us as we try to do what God wants us to do to continue uh, working with Bible translation. I am happy to report, after seems like many many months of saying that they're finished with the translation and doing final checking. I feel like I've been saying that for a couple years now, but. Uh, The the translation is absolutely finished And it is now at the print shop So Lord willing It will be finished being printed I think we are doing about 6,000 copies Here in the first first run That will be done sometime in November Lord willing They will be shipping that over We are hoping to meet it there And pray that that works out With shipping logistics and all of that Uh, Hoping to have a dedication service For that scripture On January the 5th of next year so be in prayer about that. There's a lot of logistics that have to happen with that. Um, a lot of things that have to come together at the right time. And, and things aren't, don't always work uh, in shipping and, and other things the way that they we would expect them to work. So pray that God will work all of that out. And, of course, we're very excited. When you start a Bible translation project, and we started that 2007. So it's been 11 years ago that we started this, officially this translation. Uh, it's a long row that you're looking at. It's a long... <laughs> Road a hoe, so to speak, and uh, but you're looking forward to that day when you can actually hand a Bible uh, to those people, and so we're we're really praising the Lord that He's brought us to this point, um, that we can, uh, Lord willing, see that and give that Bible to those people and those pastors over there, and just pray that God would do His work through that Word. We know that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it is a life-giving force, and. We trust that God's going to use his word over there in southwestern Uganda uh, to see souls saved, to see uh, trainer uh, leaders trained up, and to see churches planted in that area. So pray that uh, as God's allowed us and given us his grace to do this work uh, through these translators that he's now going to use his word the way he promised. He said it wouldn't return void, so we trust him for that. But just pray that God would do a mighty work in Uganda uh, in the hearts of the people and the churches uh, and in those people there, so that uh, we're, we're excited. I'm, I'm very excited for what God's doing. Of course, continue to pray for them. They're working on the Old Testament. Um, it's one of those things, like we said, it's it's this long road, and sometimes it's hard to be excited about something that's so far down the road. But they're working on the Old Testament now. Pray that we can get that finished as well. Give them the whole Bible that we can hand to them, and know that it is the Word of God. It's translated correctly, accurately. It's exactly what God has said. In their language, and the Holy Spirit can use it in their hearts to do His work. So, pray for that, if you would. Uh, pray for my schooling that I can get through that and continue to train translators, help with that project as well as the other projects that are going on. Um, that God would just help us to continue to see uh, people have the Bible, unreached people especially. And uh, we appreciate your prayers for that. Um, I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter two. As uh, Pastor asked me to, to come and preach for this mid, mid-year uh, missions emphasis and. And one of the things that just struck me as we, as we go about our daily lives, and I'm, I'm, I'm convicted about this myself. God convicted my heart about this as I thought about it and wanted to bring this to you and share this with, from the Scriptures with you as well. You know, we go about our lives and we rub shoulders with the lost every day. Um, some of us work with them. We, we interact with them. Um, and we can in the, in the middle of all of that, we can lose sight of where they are. Uh, and and as, as I was thinking about, about bringing this this sermon tonight, I, I thought even about, uh, I believe it's in First John that God tells us, if you don't love your brother that you can see, how can you love God that you can't see? And I think that, that holds true for missions too. You're, you're getting ready to have your uh, joy bags that are going to go out to people you don't know you're not going to see. You're uh, going to have that missions conference in March for these people that, you know, we've got these lists of names up here, but we never see those people necessarily. And if we don't love the loss that we rub shoulders with every day, how are we going to love these people that we never see the way we ought to? And so um, I want to look at the condition of the loss that tonight. Uh, and the verse that kept coming up as I was thinking about this, kind of being convicted in my own heart about, about my, my, witness to, to my urgency to talk to people about the Lord, um, I started thinking about there's a, there's a verse that came to my mind. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. And he says, "There the 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 phrase that came to my mind is that it says they are they have no hope. They have no hope. And honestly, especially when we look at these these people groups listed here, that uh, the people groups that 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 don't have a great witness of Christ, they are without hope in the world. But as I began to look at this passage, if you look here, there are five different uh, descriptions of these people in this one verse." Now, he's talking, he's writing to Ephesians, this, this Gentile church. These are Gentile believers, and they've been saved through Christ. And he's telling them, he's reminding them of where they've been, telling them not, go, not to go back to that way of living. And he says to them in verse 12, that at that time, before you were part of all that God's plan was working, before you were part of His redemption, before you were saved, he says that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel... And strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's the description of pretty much every other every person that's not saved in this world. And I have to say, we're going to talk about some of, those, some of those things he says about Israel and the commonwealth of Israel and the covenants of promise and those things. And there's a sense in which even Israel missed out on what they were supposed to get because they didn't really truly have faith in God and His promise. They had faith in the system. And they missed the point of it. And so many Jews rejected Jesus Christ. And today we see so many Jews rejecting Jesus Christ as that Messiah. So even though they had the Scriptures, God used them to bring the Scriptures. Look at Romans. He talks about what advantage then hath the Jew. He says, much in every way they've been given the oracles of God. It's because of the Jews that we have this Bible. And so they've had these things, but there's a sense in which they aren't even part of what he's talking about because they've missed it because they've missed that It's by faith Amen. Right. and not by those things that they do. And so many are missing those things. And of course, Gentiles, those other nations, many of them have no clue, no concept of what God has done for them. They don't understand the Creator God. They don't understand their responsibility to Him. Of course, we have some here in the States and other places as well. Some of the the more modern nations and secularized nations, they just don't want to admit that they have a responsibility to God. They just want to reject that there's a God altogether, and they use naturalism, evolution, and all those things to try to explain away this that we see in the world. But they're without God. And I want you to notice this as we as we go through this. I'm just going to kind of briefly talk about this, this first point uh, as an introduction, and then we'll pray and ask God to help us as we look at this in more detail, but... He doesn't start with they're missing out on those other things. And he doesn't even start with the fact that they're without God. He first says they're without Christ. Because Christ encompasses, really encompasses all those other things. And we'll see that as we go. Without Christ, they don't have any of those other things. If you're here tonight and you are outside of Christ, if you are trying to be right with God, or maybe you're just ignoring God, but you're outside of Christ, you can't have any of these other things except through Christ. And so these are without Christ, and he starts with that, even though a number of those other things are going to relate right back to Christ as well, that we're going to see in that. But without Christ, they have no hope, And, and he is the key for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Those Jews had all these promises of God. They were part of God's people. God's chosen people, but many of them missed out because they missed Christ. They're still looking for a Messiah that's already come, and they don't they don't have those promises of God that He's given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this himself, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a couple of verses. John chapter 14 and verse six. These there are two verses, I believe. It's actually three, because you look at Ephesians two, eight and nine. But I think I probably told this to you folks before, but but I think there are three verses that that really divide all religion in the world. The first one is John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. That is a dogmatic statement. It is the reason that people do not like Christianity because they want to believe that it's okay. Pluralism is okay. If you want to believe in Buddha, you can believe in Buddha. If you want to believe in Muhammad, you can believe in Muhammad. If you want to believe in Christ, that's great for you. But all all these roads lead to God. That is not true because it's absolutely against what Jesus Christ said. And so that statement from Jesus Christ divides any religion that does not recognize Jesus Christ as the Savior. All those other religions, Jesus said, those aren't going to work. You cannot come to the Father through those religions. Because you only come to the Father through me. Then the other verses that I believe divide things. Because there are churches that talk about Jesus Christ. There are churches that talk about Jesus Christ as the Savior. But then what they do is they say, You need to trust Christ, but you've got to be baptized in our church. You've got to be married by our church. You've got to have whatever it is in our church... You've got to do these certain things in order to be saved. And Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so Jesus Christ says, You can only come to the Father through me, and it's only through me your works can't help. And so that divides all religion of the world from what truly is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So Christ is the answer. Christ is that key. And Christ is the one that all of the Old Testament is looking forward to. If we go all the, all the way back, he talks about the promise in uh, verse 12. He says, they are strangers from the covenants of promise. And one of the very first promises that God gives, it's actually not in the form of a promise because he doesn't say it to Adam and Eve, but they hear it when God curses the serpent. The serpent has tempted Eve. She's taken the fruit. Mankind has fallen into sin. And we are separated from God because of sin. And God says to that serpent, the seed, there's going to be enmity, hatred between you, you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he promises this, your seed will bruise his head, but he will bruise, or you, your heel, his heel, but the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And way back then, at the very beginning, God said, I'm going to send one that is going to fix this. Amen. And that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And all of the subsequent covenant promises are pointing to Christ. And we're going to look at that some as we go into that. But the the way for both the Gentiles and the Jews is Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at these things uh, briefly, look at who Christ is for us. But I want us to think about the fact, as we look through these things, there are people in this world that don't know this or don't understand it from what they do know. We live in in the Bible Belt, and you can hardly talk to somebody that doesn't have some kind of church affiliation and is going to tell you that they don't believe in Jesus Christ or believe in God. But many of them don't truly know who Jesus Christ is and who God is and who they truly are as sinners before God. And we need to understand that people have to understand these things. We've got to bring to them this message of Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, or they are without hope. They are desperate. They may not know it. Um, I think of, as I I was thinking through this as well, God brought to mind that that part where David says, "I, I was jealous of the wicked. He says something like, I looked at the wicked and they're prospering and they have no problems it seems like and everything looks good. He says, but then I went to the house of the Lord and I saw their end. And he understood. They're without hope. There's nothing beyond this life for them. And they are desperate, whether they understand it or not, whether they realize it or not, whether they act like it or not. They are desperate for Jesus Christ, and we see it. Honestly, we see it. If you look at, we have this culture of celebrity, and we have these people that so many people look up to and, and, and really, honestly, kind of worship. That they've made it. They're successful. They're famous. They're rich. Uh, whatever it may be, they have power. And what do we see it with the, in the lives of those people? They're miserable. Many of them, their lives are train wrecks. Good. And those things that the world is looking to and that our culture is looking to and are holding up a success that so many people are pursuing, they're not looking at the end because those people that reach that pinnacle, they're not happy because they're without Christ. They're without hope. They're living in the world of the Creator and they're at enmity with the Creator and under His wrath. And we've got to understand their plight, and that needs to, to break our heart for them. We need to be moved with compassion, as Jesus Christ was, at the fact that they are living those kinds of lives. So we're going to look at this and try to understand a little bit about what God's showing us about uh, those people around us. It's, it's, it's going to do a couple things for us, because it's going to remind us of what He saved us from, what He's brought us out of. But it's going to also remind us that there are people out there that are still in those conditions that are still living lives like that. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us as we look at these things, uh, hopefully quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here tonight, Lord, that we have the freedom to meet together. Lord, that you've given us your word to know you, to know us, to know Jesus Christ as the Savior. Thank you that we have um, a church that we can come together as believers and encourage each other and edify each other, be built up in our faith again so that as we go out into the world and remember these things, Lord, we can help them as well. Guide us tonight, Lord. Burden our hearts for the lost. Help us to see their need, Lord. Help, help our hearts to be broken as your heart was broken, as, as you wept over Jerusalem, Lord. Help us to weep over Ocala. Help us to weep over the world and those that are lost, Lord. I pray that you would work in our hearts tonight. Help us to see their plight. Help us to be, be ready and willing to go out. Share what we know of you, Lord. And then also even, Lord, to continue to, 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 to give that others can go, to get out to those that we can't go to, but they go to, to share the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would send laborers to the unreached and that you would send translators to the Bibleists. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we think of Christ, Christ is the title of office for Jesus. Jesus was his human name. Christ was that office that he had that had been promised all through the Old Testament. They were looking for that one, that servant, that branch, that righteous branch that God said would come. And that's Christ. That's who Jesus is in that office. And as we look at that, the word Christ means anointed one. It's the equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah, which basically means the same thing. It's one who's anointed. He is the anointed of God, anointed in a way that no other person has been anointed. But as we look at the Old Testament, we see examples of people anointed. And so we get this idea of what this office means through that anointing of those other people. We see that prophets were anointed. And part of that office of being Christ is that he was a prophet. Um, and look at John chapter 12 with me in this aspect. John, uh, Jesus was a prophet. And and often we think of a prophet when we think of the, the Bible, we often think of someone who tells the future. But but honestly, there's more prophecy is just telling what God has said and warning of judgment and telling people what they need to do to get right with God than it is about telling the future. That's right. Yes, telling the future is part of it. And often, telling the future is part of warning the ju- for ju- about judgment. <laughs> That's right. And so, a prophet is someone who tells what God has given to them. They preach the Word of God. And of course, Jesus was the greatest prophet who ever lived because He was the God-man. And in John chapter 12, verses 44, he says something. He says, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And watch verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not... For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Verse 48 He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Why does the world need to understand that Christ was a prophet? Because he has spoken words that will one day judge them. All of us are going to stand before a judgment. Those that are saved are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged themselves, but that their works would be judged by, I believe, the fire of the Word of God. This is what God has given us to show us how we ought to live, and your works and my works are going to go through that fire, whether they be right with this book or against this book. If they're right with this book, they will be our rewards in eternity, and if they're wrong with this book, they're going to burn up. But the lost face a a worse judgment because they're going to stand at the great white throne judgment of Christ. And no one at that judgment, no one that's standing at that judgment to be judged is going to heaven. The Bible says they're condemned already. They are standing condemned. And one of the things the Bible says in in Revelation that there were books that were opened, I believe that this book will be opened because this is the book that tells us what Jesus said, and He said, My words will judge you. And they will be judged according to their works, it says as well. But they're already condemned before God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, just as He says here, and His words will judge them. And so they need to know that Christ is the prophet because He has spoken God's word and that things that He has spoken will judge them in that day. There's a judgment coming. I think of when, John, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, one of the things He says that when He comes, He will reprove or convict the world of judgment. And we need to be warning people of the judgment to come. We need to be letting the lost know that someday they are going to stand before God. They can believe in evolution if they like and believe that there's no God, but the fact of the matter is someday they will stand before God and they will be judged by what God has spoken. And they need to know that. They need to be warned of that judgment coming. They need to be told that God, Jesus, and He says it even here. He didn't come to judge the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, John 3, 17. But the fact of the matter is He came and showed us a perfect life. He came and showed us what it's like to actually live the way God says you have to live to be reconciled to Him. And He proved that none of us can meet that standard, that all of us come short of the glory of God because all have sinned. And He didn't come to condemn us, but His life condemns us if He doesn't save us. If we don't trust him as his Savior, as our Savior, then his life will condemn us. His words will condemn us. Right. And so we've got to warn people that, and even those people that are, that are going to the churches that I talked about that, that are trying to add things to the, to the gospel, saying you have to do these works, and these works are somehow going to make you right with God. Jesus' life says, no, they can't make you right with God. Because unless you're like me, unless you're perfect, unless you are sinless, then you're not, going to get to, you're not going to get to heaven. You're not going to get to God. And we've got to warn people that they've got to come to Christ as Savior or they will someday face His words as judge. Right. And so they need to know that He is the prophet. He is Christ the prophet who gives us those words. But He has the words of life, praise the Lord. <laughs> yes, they judge us, but they also show us how we can have life. I think of what Peter said when Jesus said to, said to the disciples, Will you also go away? And I love what Peter said. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. And we need to share that with others. They, they are, yes, they are words that can judge and condemn, but they are also words that give life if they'll receive it and take it. So he is that prophet. He's also that priest. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, another person in the Old Testament that was anointed that represented Jesus as the Christ is the priest. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we understand that he is now our priest. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, "...seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest that which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin." He understands everything we can possibly go through. And we have that kind of a high priest. And then it says this, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How is it that we can come to the Father through Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life? Because He is that great high priest who not only gave the sacrifice but was the sacrifice, and He was that one sacrifice that works forever. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there are people who are trying to go, th- go to God through priests today around the world and they're not going to get there through those priests. Right. And they need to know that. There is a great high priest that is the priest who offered the sacrifice of himself. He's also the sacrifice and through him we can come to God. Amen. And they need to know that. The devil has, has, has blinded their eyes and fooled them and told them these lies about the way that they can come to him, and Jesus wants us to share the truth with them, that it is through him that we can come to, come to God. And then he's also the king. That's the other office in the Old Testament that was anointed, and Christ is the king. He rules. And someday, again, they're going to stand before Him as King. And the fact of the matter is, Philippians 2.11 says that "That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So everyone's going to confess Jesus Christ King. The question is when. And the the problem for the people of the world is, they're going to someday stand before that King and they're going to bow the knee and they're going to call Him Lord and they're going to confess Him Lord. And then he's going to have to say, well, you can't be with me. You rejected me. You wouldn't receive me. And you can't be a part of that kingdom. All of us, I believe truly that all of us will give glory to God. All of us will get, give glory to God. God is deserving of and will receive all glory. Some will give glory because they submit to His plan. They see what He's done in the person of Jesus Christ. They receive Him as Savior. They walk with God. They live for God. They, they become like His Son. And as we do that, we give glory to God. But some are going to give glory to God because they're going to stand before him and he's going to say, you are a sinner and I am a holy God and you cannot be with me. And they're going to give glory to God in judgment, in wrath. And many, many people in this world don't understand that. And they don't know that that's what they face. They face an eternity without God, an eternity separated from the creator who made them to have fellowship with him. You and I were not made for hell. Hell was not made for us. It was made for the devil and his angels. But the moment we joined his crowd and we sinned in Adam and Eve, and now we continue in that, we're separated from God. And they need to understand that Christ is king. Very quickly through these others. They are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. God gave that promise in Genesis 3.15 to all of us because we are all children of Adam. But then God began to choose a certain family that He was going to work through, that He was going to bring His redemption plan through, that He was going to bring Christ through, and that was Abraham. And if you look at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, the two things it says of Jesus Christ is He is the son of Abraham and He is the son of David. And God brought His Word and His living Word, Jesus Christ, through the people of Israel. And He says that you that are Gentiles, you were apart from that. You didn't even know the first thing about God because you weren't a Jew, and that's how God was giving His Word and showing who He was and showing what He was going to do to save us. And there are people around this world, and again, remember, that even the Jews, they have the Old Testament, They, they... they Claim they believe those things, but they've missed the fact that God has fulfilled those things in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And they need to know that. Because they may be right about everything else in the Old Testament, but when they miss the Messiah, they've missed the Savior. And so they've got to know that. And he says, these, are, these people, and, and when we look at these unreached people, most of these, they just don't have a clue. Many of these people don't have a Bible. How are they going to know who God is? How are they going to know who Christ is? And they are without Christ, and they are apart from that one way that God's been working through this world to bring salvation. They are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Then he says they're strangers from the covenants of promise. I talked about Genesis 3.15. That was one of those promises. Abraham, what does he tell Abraham? I'm going to bless your family, and your family is going to be a blessing to all nations. How is Abraham's family a blessing to all nations? through the Son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. And God wants to bless the world through the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to reconcile them to Himself through the person of Jesus Christ. In Exodus, we have that covenant that God made with Israel that they they broke that covenant. But there's there's an interesting parallel there where Moses does that sacrifice and he says, this is the blood of the covenant. And then in the New Testament, we see where at that Last Supper, Jesus lifts that cup. He says, this is, the, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And what does he say that is? This is the New Testament in my blood. I'm bringing all those promises. All those promises are coming to you through me, the ultimate sacrifice. Through my blood, there will be true forgiveness of sin. He will take away the sins of the world. And we now have what God designed for us to have, reconciliation with God. Amen and they don't know those covenant promises. They don't know any of those promises that Jesus fulfilled. Then it says that they are without hope. They are without hope. Just a couple verses here. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, he says Christ in you the hope of glory. And, of course, when you, you understand when you read the word hope in the, in the Scriptures, when it's talking about our hope in Christ, it's not talking about something that we're not sure we're going to get. It doesn't mean I hope it's going to happen. What it means is I haven't seen it yet. There's something coming that's even better than this. Because He's going to fully glorify us in Jesus Christ. He's fully going to reconcile us to Himself. We're going to be saved. You've probably heard this one before. He saved us from the penalty of sin. He's saving us from the power of sin now as we yield to Him, walk in Him, and someday He's going to save us completely from the presence of sin. But the world doesn't know that. The world is still bound by sin. The world still can't get out of those gambling addictions. The world can't get out of those things that hold them in, in bondage because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't understand what He's offering them. They're without hope. I, I, I think about the world view of an evolutionist, and I don't understand it. This, this life is hard enough to think that this is it. It's, this is as good as it's going to get. But that's their lives. That's the way many in the world live right now. This is as good as it gets. They don't understand it, but it's about to get a lot worse, too, after they die. And that's where they live. That's where they are. Those people that we, that we come into contact with. And, and if you're like me, you go through your day, you go through your schedule, you brush, you brush shoulders with people, and you're not always conscious of that. We're not always thinking about that. But we need to be pleading with people to understand what God's done for them in Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to be moved with compassion like Jesus Christ was. He wept over Jerusalem. He said, I wanted to gather you under my wings like a, like a, chick, like a hen gathers the chicks. That's what God wants for everybody. Amen. But they don't know it. And they can't know it unless someone goes and tells them. And we've got to tell them that. And then it says at the last they are without God in the world. One of the things that I find really interesting, um, the people that have gotten into the old pagan new age where they're worshiping the earth, you know, we've got to be in harmony with the earth, um, a lot of environmental stuff, that, that kind of a thing. Um, they're trying to be in harmony with a creation without knowing the Creator and denying the Creator. How can you possibly be in in harmony with anything when you're against the very Creator and not just Creator? And this is something we need to be aware of too. He's the sustainer. The Bible talks about God holding our our breath in His hand. Paul quoted uh, the Greek poet in in the church in Athens, and this is uh, where we're going to go with this, but he says, in him we live and move and have our being. He's saying, even your poets understood a little bit of this (laughs) because they understood that it's in God that we live and move and have our being. God is the only giver of life. And they are without God in the world. They are against their very creator and sustainer. Um, when Paul went to Athens, he he talked about some things. He talked about their idolatry. Because they didn't know God. They were without God. They made this multiplicity of gods. I have a hard enough time pleasing one God. I can't imagine trying to please all of them. If you understand what I'm saying. Because they're afraid of everything. Some of these cultures in these people groups, every little thing has a spirit. It's a God and they've got to somehow appease it. And if they don't appease the rain God, there won't be any rain. If they don't appease this God, there won't be that. And they live in fear. With gods they don't know or understand when God's given them His Word and He wants them to know Him. And that was the way the Athenians were when Paul went to them. The other thing about the Athenians, it says that they always went about looking for some new thing. Um, I, you know, you grow up and you, and you kind of look at all these, there's all these religions in the world, you think... You know How do we know this is, this is right? But I thought about, do I need to look at all these other religions to try and try to compare them? And I thought, you know what, I don't really have to do that. You know why? Because God's told me this, and it works. It's the truth. And I can look at the world around me and see God's truth. I can see that when he says the wages of sin is death, I can see that those people, as we live in sin, as we do those things, it hurts us. I understand as I look at the world that death doesn't seem like it's supposed to be here. I just read something. I don't remember where I read it. There was a doctor that said as he stood at a table, working on it's a surgery table working on this person's heart, um, he's a, he was a fellow that had become a Christian, I think, through this incident. He's working on this human heart and he realizes death isn't supposed to be happening. We weren't designed for this. And yet it happens all the time. Why? Because of sin. Because God told us why we have death. And he told us how we can have life. And so these Athenians are always looking for some new thing because apparently whatever they had wasn't good enough. They're always looking for something better. And that's the way much of the world is. They move from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, because they don't have anything that truly satisfies. Because they don't have Jesus Christ. They're without God in the world. He said they were too superstitious, too religious, too much into this idolatry, too much into all these things, and they'd miss the true God that He introduced them to. And then, of course, the way Paul introduces the sermon, he says, "You have this altar. I'm looking at all your altars, and you've got this altar—the unknown God. How do you how do you be right with an unknown God? How do you make sure that you know you're 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 interacting the way you're supposed to with an unknown God?" And yet, how many people in the world, that's, what that's, that's their whole lives? They don't know the God of the Bible. They don't know the Creator God. They don't know how they're supposed to interact with Him and come to Him and reconcile to Him and appease Him and, and, and avoid His wrath because nobody's told them. And we have a responsibility to understand the desperate situation of the lost here in Ocala as well as around the world. And we need to love them enough, like Christ did, to be moved with compassion and to tell them, God loves you. God wants you back. He didn't create you to be separated from Him. He didn't create you to be rebelling against Him and living without Him and living outside of Him and dying from your sin. He created you to have life in Him. And that's what they need. But too often we walk walk about our lives and we don't see it. We forget. We get caught up in the things of the day-to-day. God help us to recognize the need of the lost. They are without Christ. They are aliens from God's plan. They are strangers to the God's promises. They are without hope, and they are without God. Let's stand and pray together.